Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Film Odyssey podcast, where me and my brother truck through cinema on a quest to find the best films ever made. This season, we begin our journey with the AFI Top 100. And this week, we talk about Pulp Fiction. So, yeah, Randy, Pulp Fiction. This is uh, the only film we've watched so far that you've seen before. I believe so. Yeah, it's yeah. the only one we've watched so far that I've seen before. Probably, like, twice beforehand. Oh, okay, so this is your third viewing? Yes. All right, so... Uh, where do you want to start? Did it hold up for you? Did you still like it? Do you think it's as good as you remember? Do you think it's better than you remembered? I think it's better than I remembered. Really? Yes, because, you know, I wasn't so thrown off by a certain scene in the basement of a pawn shop. With a couple of good old boys and Marcellus Wallace's ass? Yes. Yeah. You know, I wasn't so thrown off by that, but I still didn't like it. Not a fan that, of that That scene. part of the movie still don't like, but the rest of the movie I like more than I did before, so it evens out. Evens out. It evens out. Evens out. Alright, because uh, this film, I, I, I don't think I'm gonna surprise people, is really, really fucking popular. Like, mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction is a movie that's been homaged, memed, and stolen from for, like, decades since it's come out. Like, I went through film school, and I can't tell you how many short films I saw that kids made that were just... Pulp Fiction ripoffs. How do you rip off Pulp Fiction like a short student film? You know the scene where it's like Jules starts talking about the Big Kahuna Burger and it's like a gangster thing in a crummy apartment? Yeah. Basically that scene. Uh, I suppose. Yeah, except you turn it into like Taco Bell or something. Yeah, yeah. Of course. You don't I have to change the whole point of using Big Kahuna Burgers because it wasn't any of those big fast food chains. I didn't say they were good. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say those shorts were good. Come on now. <laughs> or that they got the point. <laughs> they got the point. But, uh, yeah, let's see if we can find the point with this one. So, um, I'll, I'll give everybody the rundown of this interesting plot, because uh, you were still refused to do it. Yes. So, this interconnected story follows the gangster hitmen Jules and Vincent as they settle a debt for their boss, Marcellus Wallace. Uh, we also follow Vincent's near-fatal night out with Mia Wallace and Butch, the washed-up boxer, trying to escape town before he is killed by... Marcellus Wallace for double-crossing him in a fixed fight. There's also a story of a robbery at a diner with Vincent and Jules caught in the middle. Yes. So yeah, there's like four different stories going on here, and they all just intermingle and cut between each other and kind of play out. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, where do you want to start? Well, let's start with the... at the beginning. is at, Which is the end. Or it's no, no, the no, middle. No. Uh, not not the beginning, beginning, but the the part of the movie after the initial diner scene. Gotcha. Where they're talking about massaging Mrs. Wallace's feet. All right. Now, the real philosophical question of this film: Who do you side with here? Ooh. Who I'm... do you, who do you side with on massaging Mrs. Wallace's feet? That is, that is a question because that's an intimate thing, right? To massage another another man's wife's feet. Yes. I would have to agree with Vincent here. It means something. It might not mean as much as Marcellus Wallace is throwing a guy out a four-story window into a greenhouse, but it definitely meant something. But then we find out that there was no foot rub involved. Yes, there was no foot rub involved. Only people that know why Marcellus Wallace threw Tony out of a four-story window into a greenhouse is between Tony and Marcellus Wallace. Also, Marcellus Wallace is just this ominous presence throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. And then when when we see him, he's just he just gets handled. Because through the first half of the movie, Marcellus Wallace is talked about in hushed tones. Yes. And is this, this dangerous crime boss. And then when we finally see him, he gets hit by a car. 
by well, bl- anybody would get by. handled being hit by a car. It really doesn't show how he's not not such a badass. All right, he had to hit him with a fucking car, you know. And that still didn't put him down. So. Yeah, exactly. I, I guess. I guess. Uh, so, do you want to just follow the Vincent trail, the Vincent Vega main character arc through this movie, and then we'll like talk about everybody around it? We can do whatever we feel like. We can do whatever we feel like. This is our show. All right, so we got Vincent Vega played by um, uh, John Travolta, yes, who was box office poison up to this point, and then was he really, yeah, ba- the uh, l- mid to late eighties into the nineties were not great for him. Harvey Weinstein did not want to have him for the part. Quentin Tarantino had to basically say, "I'll walk if you don't get Travolta on this movie," because you know he's a huge fan of uh, Brian De Palma's Blowout, and was like, "That movie's great. That movie's." Amazing. That should be on this list. It's not. It's not. <sighs> Randy loose face. We'll have, we'll have to. Fi- all right. All right. In the final episode of the podcast. We'll have a three-hour episode about how we're going to fix the list. We're, yes, that's going to be the <laughs> final episode. Right after Citizen Kane, we'll go deep. All right. All right. But yeah. So Tarantino lobbied for Travolta to be in this. He's like, he's a great actor. He just needs a good part, a good script, and I got this for him. And I would I would tend to agree. Like, yeah. This is one of the best Travolta performances, right? It's really good. It's amazing. Not as good as Blowout, though, but pretty damn fucking good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Yeah. And I guess the easiest way to follow it is... Because Vincent's the only character that's pretty much in every story, right? Yes. So, uh, let's start with Jules and Vincent when they go to settle the debt with the boys, I guess. Oh, with the guys in the apartment. Yeah, where we first get, you know, I am the Lord. Yeah, the whole Ezekiel 2317. If it helps, that whole thing, only like one fifth of it is actually from the Bible. The rest is Tarantino just, just doing a riff. It is Ezekiel 2517 and Quentin Tarantino rewrote it for the movie. Yeah. And, I mean, it's good. That that's it's good. Some, that's some hard shit right there. If somebody it's told you that with a gun at you, it's just over, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. Why Jules says it, but then it suddenly starts to mean something to him once he gets shot at by the guy coming out of the bathroom and doesn't get hit. Bro, Jerry Seinfeld came out of that doorway and just blew them the fuck <laughs> up. It's not. It's not Jerry Seinfeld, but it looks like Jerry Seinfeld, oh, right? Goodness. But yeah, that whole scene's great. Oh yeah. Did I break your concentration? Oh, God. what ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? Say what again, motherfucker? I dare you! I double dare you! There's so many quotable lines in this. There's book. tons of quotable lines in this. A royale with cheese? No shit! No shit! You know what they call it? A royale with cheese? Uh, a metric system? You're a goddamn genius! Look at this smart <laughs> motherfucker over here. Also, I'm gonna ask you this: How would you define this movie for genre? For genre? Yeah, you know, drama, crime, comedy, action, thriller. Well, it has some noir elements where people kind of get, like, wrapped up in something they're not supposed to be involved with, but it's not really shot that way. There's very, very few scenes you can even get close to with that, right? So, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's almost like an action movie. Well, here's the thing, because I saw an interview with Tarantino, and to this day says, this is basically a comedy. This yeah. is like a crime comedy. And he's like, if you put this in anything other than the comedy section of your video store, you're wrong. And I've always wondered about that because we watched the opening sequence where it's, you know, 
Jules and Vincent, and they're walking in and they're talking, and we we were laughing our asses off like five I mean, minutes. The movie's in the movie. really funny. It's really funny. Like there's a lot of comedy in this, and you know the first whole chunk, even when uh, Jules is popping off on fucking Brad, it is the funniest shit. Because he's just yelling at... Or isn't his name Brett? Brett, Brad. He's he's is a it, dead white guy in five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And, you know. And then, he's and about as cooked as that big Huna burger he was eating. Yes. And it's so it's so funny. That opening sequence is great. And then they open the briefcase. And that's another thing. Like, what the fuck's in that briefcase? It's gotta be gold bars. You're, just, you're saying gold bars? I'm saying gold bars. Not Marcellus' Wallace's soul? No, of course it's not Marcellus' Wallace's fucking soul. What <laughs> if it's the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs? It could be the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs, but it glows orange. It's it's the stuff dreams are made of. Yeah, it's gold fucking bars. It's the stuff green dreams are made of. <laughs> We're gonna find that out once we get to the fucking uh, Treasure Sierra Madre. Oh, oh man, I can't wait to get Treasure Sierra Madre. That's gonna be a banger. But besides the point, that's just a really well structured scene, and I think that goes into kind of how this movie was this made. Is the best scene in the movie? Uh, honestly, I love the Mia Wallace and Vincent's like night out. I love that. Would you count all of that as one scene, or mm. would you count that as like two different scenes, like one? Well, it's a, that's at, a whole like sequence. It's right? a whole sequence, yes. But the would you count it as two scenes? You know, where they're at the Elvis bar, mm. and then afterwards when they get home, the whole like ODing. I don't count that as basically two scenes. But in the apartment with those guys, that's basically just one scene. Yeah, yeah. Actually, if I had to say the huh, the best scene between characters like that, it it might even be the final one. Where it's just Jules in the diner, and he's talking to... Vincent beforehand, and then Vin- talking to the robbers. Yeah, yeah, the fucking you know, the dumbasses who decided to rob the wrong fucking diner that day. <laughs> the wrong diner. And it, and that one, I think, is just so good, because we're just so invested, and we know Jules, and we're like, oh man, this is the hardest motherfucker in the room, and it is so good. It's so good. It's so It's so good. But yeah, I, I'm sorry I'm dominating the conversation. Come no, no, on, no, give no. Me I, I wanted to know which which one do you think is the best? I would say the diner scene at the, the end. Scene at the I end. would say the diner scene at the end because we. I say that because we have all this build up beforehand. Now that we know Jules, you know all that stuff. And I Jules think... is kind of having this like character moment of like kind of becoming like a more of like a religious man suddenly. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where I feel that's a very interesting and subversion of that character, and I really dig it. I'm trying to think what I would say is my favorite scene. You made some good arguments for the diner scene. I really like the Elvis bar. Oh, Jackrabbit Slims? Jackrabbit Slims. That It's a pretty good scene. It's that $5 milkshake. Damn, that's a good milkshake. I know it's I know $5. It's $5. Good. It's a damn good milkshake. Oh. Um, but I'd probably say the, the first scene at the apartment. Yeah. I, Especially with if you count the lead up to it, where they walk <laughs> up, up to the apartment and they're like talking. It's they very discuss good. massaging Mrs. Wallace's feet and throwing people out of four-story windows onto greenhouses. I mean, hey, that's just what you do, right? I mean, you know, if I was in Marcel Wallace's shoes, I, mean, I would not hesitate to throw a man out of a four-story window to protect my woman's feet. <laughs> of course, of course. I'd be like her shoes to... No, just joking. Jesus. To protect those feet. Uh, but yeah. But that's an interesting thing because we talk about that Wait, it's like... real th- quick. What? What do you uh, got? I don't, I don't want to cut, cut you off too bad there, you know. Sure, sure, sure. But, um, since we're already on the subject, do we, can we talk about Quentin Tarantino's foot fetish? Uh, we're already 
talking about how the 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 beginning yeah, plot yeah. of this movie is almost based around Marcellus Wallace's wife's feet. Yeah, okay, so that that's a thing that comes up in a lot of Tarantino films that people have observed, is that he has this weird obsession with women's feet in his movies. We can call it what it is. He, uh, he, yeah. He's got a foot fetish, and it is quite obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got a foot fetish, it shows up a lot in his movies, and this is kind of the first time it's on, it's, it's up front. It's explicit? Yeah. And that... Well, I, I, I guess I want to call it explicit. Yeah. Because no, nobody fucks nobody's feet here. No? Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's up front, and it is it is interesting, because a lot of people look at this and they're like, oh, this is one of those postmodern films where it's all style over substance, but you really see the auteur in it. You really see Tarantino in this movie, because it's all, like, 70s, 80s grindhouse movie references. Yes. There's this, like, really weird personal story going on, because it's like, he grew up in, like, fucking Inglewood. He grew up in these parts of L.A., you know, and it's this weird foot fetish stuff. I don't know about him being under any pawn shops with Marcellus Wallace. I don't know if that happened. But, like, it, it's one of these interesting things where this is a very... Where he really shows through in the movie. He really shows well, through in the movie. stars in it. Yeah, well, self inserts. I don't think he star. It's not a star. It's a fucking cameo, basically. And he, I it's think it's a he, long cameo. You know, he wasn't There's definitely even, shorter cameos in other movies. He wasn't supposed to be that guy. It's the same thing that happened with Scorsese and Taxi Driver. The guy who was supposed to be Jimmy just didn't show up. Oh, really? And Tarantino was like, "I'm not losing a day of filming. Harvey Weinstein will kill me, or do what Harvey Weinstein does." And <laughs> Tarantino's like, "Yo, I'll just step in. It'll be fine. I know the lines. I'm Tarantino. It'll be fine." Nah, I'm definitely, I'm sure that he told that guy to not show up that day. Probably. That's you where know, it goes. You know. Also, do you think Tarantino does coke? Because I did a review for True Romance. It's the only Tarantino script he didn't direct. Okay. And he said it's the most personal film he ever he's ever written. And it's all about cocaine. So I'm like, do you think Tarantino does coke? I mean. Or at least back in the day. Mate, probably. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't want to say nothing about the guy that, you know, he's, he'll be offended with. You know, because. Uh, when people assume you do drugs and you don't, that's, that's a personal deal to people, right. you know, but I would be surprised if in this man's <laughs> memoirs, he didn't, there wasn't like a whole chapter about drugs. <laughs> I too would be His relation surprised. with them, even if he doesn't do them, his relation with them in film, yeah. and people around him that do them, quite likely that there is a big influence on his life somewhere or another through Cop- recreational drugs. Copious <laughs> amounts of drugs. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And before we get, because the film structure, why it's all this broken up stuff, is originally, this was supposed to be a bunch of short short films that eventually they realized they couldn't make a bunch of short films because no big studio would give them money for that. So they threw them together in this kind of weird post-narrative, just throw them all together, non-chronological film kind of like french new wavy in that sense where it's not in the right order but it's all there and that's how this film came to be it was supposed to be like four or five different short films that got thrown together and i'm like it kind of shows through because each one of these stories is incredibly self-contained in terms of the story they're telling 100 percent self-contained but they do have like they have their distinct beginning, def- middle, and ends. Well, you can definitely tell that they could be self-contained. Yeah. They, they didn't necessarily have to intertwine. And so I think that shows, like you said, that they came from all these different ideas, but they did a good job stitching them together. I think that's why Vincent is in all of them, because he's that 
through line that carries each one together. And it's like, okay, he's the guy that connects to all these stories. Yes. You know, I've heard people... And he's basically the main character. Base, yeah, basically. Because I mean, I've heard people say that each one of these stories is just how a very particular person would tell how their day went. Where it's like, how would Jules describe his day? He's like, me and fucking Vincent broke into this guy's house. We got shot at and then all missing. I had this fucking religious epiphany. And Vincent well, they didn't was, break in. They uh, knocked and they, walked in. <laughs> and then shot like four people, alright? They shot... Well, Are you really going to be pedantic shot, about how many people Jules shot? He shot three people. Vincent shot one. Alright. Well, technically Vincent also shot three people. He shot Marvin. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, he shot Marvin. And he also shot the two other guys with You Jules. pedantic fuck. I'm just saying, to uh, clarify. Sure. So... And then it's like, oh, what happened with Vincent's day? He's like, well, me and Jules had this thing. Then I took Marcellus Wallace's wife out. And then she, like, fucking OD'd. And then I got shot and taken a shit. It was over the course of a couple days. Probably. Like three days. Probably like three days. Yeah, because he's out with Jules first. Yeah, in the morning. Then the next day he's out with Marcellus Wallace, right? Or is it later that night? Actually, I think it's later that night. Because when he gets to the bar and they have... um. Vincent and Butch kind of have that meeting. Mm-hmm. It's implied that that night is when he's taking Mia out. Okay. And so then it takes the course over two days. Yeah. It's probably, it's early morning into the next day, early morning with Butch. Yes. Um, leaving. And that's probably the end of the, end chronologically to the movie. Yeah. Yeah. This movie gets a little confusing when you try and put it in a chronological yeah, no, order. It's not that bad. It's not that it's bad. It's not that bad. It's not Mulholland Drive bad. Oh, man. Oh, God. Mulholland Drive. Go listen to that episode. It gets weird. I've, you know, I, I take back my statement of that the movie totally works as a uh, chronological everything happens in reality thing for Mulholland Drive. I've taken, I've taken that stance back. You're taking that stance back? Uh, I've taken that stance back. It's in a dream? It's in a dream. I knew it! We did it, boys! That's the way it goes. Let's go. You know, you, you gotta know how to take your L's. <sighs> These things happen. These things happen. Speaking of taking L's, Bruce, did or Butch, Bruce Willis, did not want to take that L. He did not take that L. I love the Butch storyline, because it it's is good. It is hard noir, too. Because that's like, yeah. that's a noir story. The boxer who, you know, is paid to take a dive, but his pride stops him from doing it. And then, you know, he has to get out of town. He's chased by the mobsters. That's a noir short film. Yeah, 100%. Just totally fits that genre. Just straight up. Except for the part where he hits Marcellus Wallace with his car and gets stuck in a basement. I mean, hey. Can we we just get that out of the way and talk about the basement? Yes, Tarantino really likes the movie Deliverance. That's basically it. Like that is really? that that's that's what that is a reference to because he's a huge Burt Reynolds fan. Okay. He's named after Burt Reynolds' character from Gunsmoke. Okay, so he's a huge Burt Reynolds fan. Deliverance is a really big movie in Burt Reynolds' catalog. It's yes. also a really good movie, and that's basically his homage to fucking Deliverance in there. But why? But why? I I hate the scene so much. It's just so uncomfortable and out of place, even for a movie where people get shot all the time. That's the point, Randy. He's pushing the boundaries. I, of taste. Man, he always bu- pushes the boundaries in his movies, and like, I I hate it. You hate it. I I hate it because he always goes a little too far. Like Hateful Eight, I liked that movie some uh, near the beginning of the movie, and then after a while, I was like, man, he's just going way too far. The Hateful Eight went too far? Way too far. I, Way too goddamn far. I guess. Um, Quentin Tarantino, he's he's a great filmmaker, but he gets way too ambitious sometimes. I think I 
like that about him though yeah i like i like the fact he's i guess at this point he's become a director that could kind of do whatever the fuck he wants yeah and people will just let him do it but here's the thing i kind of wish that that would be like you know one of those things where like he films it right but then he goes maybe he shouldn't have done that leaves it on the cutting room floor type of thing i don't know you know because it just comes off as not tasteful i think that's kind of the point i I know i know because he is this well we can talk about tarantino as as an artist right sure because i i think it's not gonna be too surprising to say that he's probably at this point one of if not the most popular directors of the 20th century or the 21st century yeah he's got to be up there yeah because people recognize his movies yeah even people who aren't film people they know it's like oh django unchained that's tarantino hateful eight tarantino once upon a time in hollywood tarantino reservoir dogs pulp fiction jackie brown didn't he do inglorious bastards inglorious bastards yeah he's done a bunch of movies and all of them have been successful yes which is well not all of them hateful eight i don't believe was successful no he really made his money back well made his money back but i mean was it as big as these other movies like inglorious bastards and pulp fiction yeah people don't really reference fuck hateful eight yeah 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 so is that your opinion is hateful eight the the one tarantino movie you're just like just, not a fan of uh, i think he bottomed out there that's the bottom but i think i think that was probably his worst movie really i i mean that's still pretty good if that's his worst movie well yeah but i mean you know it's not like he's done making movies yeah it's true it's true you know we'll, we'll see if it gets worse from here but anyways the, that scene it it does kind of um surprisingly neatly tie up between butch and marcel swalls yeah it surprisingly neatly ties up their story for being such a gruesome, grotesque scene. Yeah, I I wonder how this was how that was written because I feel it's very obvious that that is a reference to Deliverance, Deliverance, or some other weird movie or whatever. That's obviously a reference there, and I'm wondering if Tarantino or his writing partner Avery were like, "Hey, let's just like come up with all these movies we want to reference, and then just see if we can fit them into a script." Because even in um, Vincent and Mia Wallace's first meeting, when she's talking to him over the intercom, that's a direct reference to the Warriors, where the lady is talking into the microphone saying, mm-hmm. you know, oh, the Warriors are going through Coney Island and all that other stuff. That's a direct visual reference to the Warriors. Hmm, never seen the movie. Oh, no? Oh, Warriors is really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really fun movie. It's great. And it's like that nice slice of 70s, like, action grindhouse weird shit. It's just, oh, it's awesome. Uh and um there's there's a bunch there's a bunch of movie references in here it's all over the place and well tarantino does like referencing other mediums yeah or and not that, even mediums just other films yeah i mean that's where we get that's where we get the idea that this is the most popular postmodernist film where it's like it's all style no substance or the style is the substance kind mm, of thing yes and i wonder about that is this there's no substance to this or is this just like pure unfiltered style of cinema I mean, I don't know how you, you, know, how you qualify, qualify substance, you know, but to me, there's definitely substance here. I like, mean, the conversations between the characters, they, they you can definitely dig deeper into them. Yeah. Especially with Jules' character, I think, is the one where you can dig the deepest into his character mm-hmm. through the things he says, through his conversations. Yeah. Because he seems like he's having a deeply religious movement during this movie. He is having a, a existential crisis, like, through this film, because he's like, I should be dead right now, and I'm not. An act of God saved me, and I don't know why. 
Which is like, you know, could be a story all on its own. This hitman hasn't, you know, a miracle happened to him where he doesn't die in a hail of bullets and suddenly, like, rethinks his life. You could make a whole movie out of just Jules' story. Yeah. Honestly, I would love to see, like, I guess we could, I don't want a Pulp Fiction 2 because I feel that would be horrible. Yes. But I would really enjoy to see a movie that just just followed Jules around. Because I think Jules is an incredibly interesting character that I want more of. Yeah, but the thing is that it's not like Samuel L. Jackson would reprise the role. It's true. So the movie would just be full stop, not as good as we want it to be. Full full stop over. Full stop would just not be as good as we would want it to be. I almost forgot. And this is the return of Samuel L. Jackson, who we've seen before, in Do the Right Thing. What character do you play in Do the Right Thing? He's the radio host. Really? Yeah, that was Samuel L. Jackson. Huh. Basically, before Samuel, really? yeah, ba- before Samuel L. Jackson, you know, met up with Quentin Tarantino, he had a career doing bit parts in Spike Lee movies, and also a bit part in uh, Goodfellas. We'll see that soon. I I kind of see it. Really? Yeah, man, he really changed over the course of just like what, like five years? Put a Jerry curl on and a beard, and boom, different human being. Also, he's definitely more Samuel. L. As Samuel, Samuel motherfucking J- yeah, Jackson. Samuel motherfucking Jackson, as we know him today. Yes, I mean. No. That is kind of interesting because, you know, I, I mentioned John Travolta. This was his comeback movie. Bruce Very Will- good. Very good. Bruce Willis was actually basically a box office bomb for a couple of years leading up to this. But he still had, like, some star power. So when he got attached to this, he got on cheap, but he pumped up the budget. So that's why this went I from, like, $8 million to, like, $15 million to be made. That cost $15 million to be made? Uh, actually, that might I might be full of shit on here. I can actually give you a real number. Uh, because it did start at eight million dollars, but to be made eventually it cost about eleven million. Ah, uh, yeah. So and like five million of that just went to the cast, basically. Okay. So so I've, things other than the cast cost about six million dollars, basically. Okay, that makes more sense to me. It feels like that, right? It feels more like that. I was like, because they use a lot of like dingy motels as their backdrops you know and i'm like eh, those things do not cost that much to run out probably right? not nah. <laughs> probably not but yeah but you I know guess, you know gotta close down a street for the whole like um butch and marcel's wall scene you know yeah you have to basically build a restaurant sure yeah yeah you have to rent out a whole diner you have to it, you can you can burn a lot of money and hide a lot of money in movies don't worry about yeah. it but yeah, so this was the comeback film for John Travolta. Bruce Willis did this and basically came back as a viable box office star. Um, Which is kind of weird because, like, he, he, was, he doesn't he was have... Well, he doesn't have that much of a, like, a huge presence in this movie. Like, he really showed his acting chops much. Bro, let's be honest here. Well, Between like, Bruce Willis now, who has stopped caring, to Bruce Willis here... Bruce Willis here actually cares about his his work. True, he he was pretty good in the scene where he freaks out about his his uh watch. Yeah, which is awesome because you get Christopher Walken telling him about how he hid this watch up his ass for two years to bring it to you. Such a weird sequence because you could tell exactly where the cut is between Christopher Walken being extremely serious in acting he he is giving an oscar performance like it cuts from him like the kind camera kind of like looking up at him to the camera being kind of like facing him directly on mm-hmm. and he just totally cuts the bull crap and just does christopher walk in and 
just kind of says everything from there on just straight without any of the serious overtones and you're just like what the fuck <laughs> it's so good it's, it's funny fa- i mean i can kind of i can pretty much agree with tarantino that it's basically a comedy yeah i, I feel it's, it's a, a dark comedy it's a yeah it's a comedy with guns basically but the thing is, though is that It'd be a very dark comedy because, you know, the whole basement scene is a very dark Very scene. dark. Vincent gets gatted. Like, also there's another thing. Why does everybody go to the bathroom? Well, people go to the bathroom. I know, but think people... about it. In movies. Yes. We've, we've watched like, I don't know, five, six movies up to this point. How many times in those movies have we seen anyone say, I'm going to go take a piss? Like once? Maybe. Here, it's like five times. No, I think we've seen it like twice i think in mahon drive somebody does and in the last picture so somebody does as well all right but in this movie so it's two across two different films over like six movies and in yes. this one it's like six times five yes, six times yes well because Why? here's the thing though is that the characters are portrayed in a more realistic way in this movie you know they have kind of these realistic conversations you could imagine yourself having yes. even though they're in situations which are kind of extraordinary. It's mm. like the the example we'll use is um, the initial diner scene where the guy's talking about like how to rob places or what places to rob. Mm-hmm. We don't rob places. We do not. We do not. But that is totally a conversation we could have where yeah. we just pontificate on what what would be the the best places to rob. Where would you have the you know the highest chance of not being caught by the police and still get a little bit of money out of it you know right it's just these like random things you pontificate on it's like if you had a million dollars what would you do with it but instead it's talking about like if, if you had to rob a place what place would you rob yeah and they have perfectly reasonable conversation you know or the whole thing with like um talking about massaging russell's wallace's feet that's exactly where i was going talking for. about amsterdam they all are perfectly oh, reasonable you were, conversations. You were in a movie pilot. Oh, what was that like? Oh, that's kind of cool. There's yeah, a lot exactly. of there's a lot of very real interesting dialogue beats. I've heard a lot of people say they love how Tarantino writes dialogue well, because because it sounds like normal people. Yeah, I think it sounds like normal people because normal people generally talk about bullshit. Yes, and this is just bullshit. But underneath the bullshit, there's actually like stuff there, which is yes. really interesting. What is it? Uh, I think somebody said that. Mia Wallace telling Vincent about the television pilot she was on is uh-huh. literally Tarantino explaining Kill Bill without making a point about it. Because uh, it's the no, fi- Fox right. Force 5 you're and they're right. all symbolic of who they are and she's the Night look Masters at, and the Look Bryce, at the this sword. guy. Hey, what's up? Tarantino, you really know how to shoehorn them bitches in, don't you? Damn right. But yeah. I think that's... What was the original point you made? Oh, I I was miles away. I was talking no. about s- samurai swords. No, it was um. You're asking why people did something in the movie. Oh, go I, to the bathroom all the time. Oh, go to the bathroom all the time. Yeah. So I think it's just because they're written more like normal people, and there's kind of like a reason for them to go to the bathroom in this movie. Like he goes to the bathroom, or Vincent goes to the bathroom, um, when he's at the house with Mia to kind of like gather himself to make sure that he doesn't fuck Marcellus Wallace's wife because you don't fuck Marcellus Wallace's wife. You don't even rub her feet. That's how you get thrown Don't even into, rub her goddamn you feet. Throw four stories into I'm a pretty greenhouse. sure Vincent is not convinced that he was thrown out of a four story um uh what is it called a four story window for not rubbing Marcellus Wallace's wife's feet. That should happen. I, I'm pretty sure he's still convinced. So he's really trying to like gather himself to bring he's, himself out of the house without 
getting jiggy with Marcellus Wallace's wife. Yeah, I'm just going to go home, jerk off. Uh, yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to tell her that I had a great evening, but that I have to go home now. Go home, jerk off, and go to sleep. Uh, that guy right there. And then he walks that. out, and this bitch has snorted some heroin. Which, my God, that is such, like, tension, right? Because I, I love that whole sequence. Where she's like, the bitch is ODing, man. And they go in and that, that conversation where you have fucking Eric Stoltz looking for the fucking medical book. And his wife is like, what book? I've never seen that book. You would know if, where it was if you cleaned that shit up. And he's like, the bitch is ODing. What the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> oh my god, that whole sequence where he's like yelling at her to like go get the adrenaline shot. And she's just like, mm, you're yelling at me, you know? Like, what is this bitch ODing on my floor for? And he's like, just get the fucking adrenaline shot. <laughs> get the fucking needles. Get the fucking shot. <laughs> you know? And it's just, it's funny because it's it's almost relatable for being such an out of the, out of the realm of possibility for normal people. Like, a, a situation happened to you. Well, how but that whole thing that where you're happen? like panicked, you're like trying to get something done, and you're just like, well, you stop arguing with me and just fucking do it. <laughs> how many, how many times has that happened in, in our home mm-hmm. where it's just like you're in the middle of something you're like i don't know putting up a fucking shelf and you're holding it up it's like hey can you grab me the fucking the screws like this thing's gonna fall over it's like where, where are the screws they're like right there they're like right there he's like where's there it's like ne- next to the fucking the, the fucking thing the right the right fucking there mm-hmm. i've had that conversation with you at least like once a month for the last 15 years well, yeah right? these things happen you know it's why it's why i like really love the dialogue the interaction between the characters in this movie it's because it's so real you know you feel something there you know it's why it's why i feel like there's more than just style here yeah and also the thematic stuff going on with jewels alone you know that a man who basically faked faith for us so long and then finally sees that's like and finds it in a sense and which is very interesting. I kind of want to have like a deep dive on like the theological thing of jewels, you know, kind of seeing the light. Well, okay. Welcome to Randy's red room. Let's go in. Randy's red. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> we'll talk about Randy's red room when I start quoting um, fucking Jimmy at the house about storage. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, let, let's get in. But um, Jules kind of has this like moment, right, where he's like he feels he. So Vincent says that the moment. It's not out of the question. It's a coincidence. It's a coincidence. You know, these things happen. They don't happen very often, but they do happen. You just got lucky. And you just got lucky, you know. And Jules says, no, this is like a miracle. Like, we should be dead now. It's an act of God. It's an act of God. And I think the difference here is that Vincent didn't feel that, like, extra presence, you know. While Jules says he did. He felt, like, when it happened, he felt that extra presence. He felt that kind of, like extra thing happening in that moment and this is a great question about faith you know Mm -hmm. is that vincent kind of needs this proof while jules doesn't he just feels it so do you think it's like completely genuine for vincent to feel the way he does because he's very standoffish about it and very kind of like um that he doesn't want to believe that it was a miracle do you think it's because it conflicts with his like way of life? His his laissez-faire attitude. His of laissez-faire life. attitude of life, and also the fact that he kills people for a living. And he doesn't have any qualms about it. And he's a heroin addict. And yeah, um, I don't. <sighs> okay, I'm not gonna say I don't know because that that just that's not a good conversation point. But I'll I will give my thought on it, even if it's not well thought out. I think that Vincent. If he's not convinced by this, nothing would convince him. And I think that's why he dies. 
You think so? He is confronted by a literal miracle because, like, I'm I'm be real with you. If that uh, was not a big look, room, if that's... you look at the the scene, right? Because I paid attention to this when we were watching. Mm. There is a bullet hole on the wall behind where Jules was standing. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. No, no, but there's like there's one real big one. Yeah. No, 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 no. There's like five that are like an outline of him, and one that's like straight through his chest. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm talking about. There is, like, an outline where you can see, like, oh, they, like, kind of, like, trace this, like, outline above his, like, you know, there's, like, one above his, like, I think it was his right shoulder, like, one above his head, one above his left shoulder, and then, like, two more on the wall. Yeah. To the, like, left of him. But there's, like, one that would would have gone straight through his chest. Like, yeah. Like, literally the bullet holes right behind him in the scene. That's the thing. Vincent, okay, Vincent and Jules are confronted by literal, like, divine intervention. Yeah. Jules accepts it, and he lives. Vincent denies it, and he dies. I wonder if there's something going on here where, with those characters, accepting the faith is a way of salvation because it gets you out of this this life. Do you think this is, like, an on-purpose, like, th- thing that Quentin Tarantino has into the movie? Or something that people gleam from the movie that he didn't intend for, where Jules gets saved by faith? Ah, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if Jules actually has any faith when he gets shot at. I feel he's no, no, just no, no, somebody no, no. who's later. Oh, uh, later? Yeah, you know, he doesn't die like Vincent does. You know, mm-hmm. he gives up his life of crime and whatnot, which probably going to save his life in the long run. I yeah, mean, he's, he's going to walk the earth. Yeah, he's going to walk Be the a earth. bum. Be a bum, as Vincent calls it. Yeah. Do you think that because... He has this that faith in him, and Vincent is more confronted with the miracle and denies it, and that's why Vincent dies? I think so. I think that's it. Because it... Because you will know his vengeance, for his name is Lord. <laughs> you will know his name. You will know his name, because he is the Lord. But yeah, it... I Also, that's another thing. That, that whole spiel that yes. Samuel L. Jackson gives in this, Jules gives in this, where you will know my name, because it is the Lord, when I strike down furious anger and vengeance upon thee. Yes. Furious anger and vengeance, that is Jules and Vincent. They are the ones striking down this this vengeance, right? Yeah, and the tyranny of evil men, which would be Marcel's walls. Yeah. And then Vincent and Butch, because Butch is, he's the shepherd. He's trying to lead, lead uh, Fabiana out of this or whatever, and she's an innocent. Real quick, how old is Fabiana? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I would assume she's probably like in her 20s. Are you I don't sure? Know. She looks really young. I think that might just be because the actress just looks really young. I don't okay. actually know. All right. I, I, are we gonna? We're just gonna avoid it. All right. Okay. Well, well, here's the thing. I she I, looks really. Young. I didn't think she looked that young. Really? I didn't think so. She's like really small, and the way she talks is kind of like this naive, really young way to look at everything. <sighs> If it, if it's because I don't know if that's if it's ever supposed implied. to be like a like implied that she's sixteen, you don't really you've never really seen it. I've never really noticed to be honest. I, it might just be a thing where it's like it never looked that weird because I always assumed she was like pregnant is what they're talking about. Uh huh. And it's like oh okay, and I guess that might just be my own naivete about this. It's like oh she's pregnant. Okay, so they're probably like you know in their he's probably like oh in his mid. Uh, mid to late 30s and she's probably like in her 20s like she was supposed to be like the trophy wife for the boxing champ that never was and you know whatever but like i i just always thought she was of age at okay, least at right. the very li- least because i kind of got this kind of like feeling from her because she's really like petite uh-huh. and kind of like mousy. weirdly mousy yeah and kind of like naive about things but it's like 
she seemed kind of young, to me at least. I don't know if this is like, you know, just weird, but it seemed like a little off, you know? I mean, if you read into it like that, I couldn't blame you, but I just don't, I just don't think that's there. Do you think it would make sense? Maybe. Actually, if it, if it is, and she's, and she is supposed to be younger, then I think that goes back into Jules quote thing where it's like the shepherd and the children or something like that yeah the keeper of the lost children yeah the keeper of the lost children i maybe bruce willis is in the most fucked up sense of of the word butch is you know the keeper of those lost children bringing him through that and he kills the evil that is and he strikes down the furious vengeance upon um vincent you know and that's the defense i wonder i feel that quote that spiel because it is ezekiel but tarantino rewrote rewrote it a lot of it i feel that is the key to this entire movie Yes, it is. In that, you know, quote verse that goes through this whole thing, because there's, there's a religious theme going on in this with Jules. There's the, the shepherd and the leader of the lost children with Butch. And I feel the only thing we really need to connect this is Mia Wallace and Vincent here to really, like, round that whole thing out. I mean, I don't know if it's a it's a coincidence that Eric Stoltz's character looks like Jesus. Looks like dude bro Jesus. <laughs> Dude, bro, Jesus. I mean, come on. So dumb. But, like, I think the whole thing about the quote that might take us a little back here mm-hmm. is that I don't think the quote necessarily puts any of them into, like, the into one category of it. Yeah. I mean, you could say that Jules and Vincent are the ones besetting people with the tyranny of evil men. Yeah. Because you could say Marcellus Wall's probably an evil guy. Yeah. But you could also say that Jules is the shepherd. Like, he says in, in the end, right? That he is the shepherd, but then he also says that he might not be. He's also the tyranny of the evil men. But he's trying real he's hard. He's trying real hard to be the shepherd, you know? And it's one of those things where the, the characters fit more than one of these roles here in this quote at different times in the movie or mm. at the same time. And so it's kind of like this thing that gets you thinking about what, what the quote means, like, how Jules is going through this whole process of, like, you know, becoming the shepherd. Vincent does not want to be the shepherd. He does not. And that's why he gets got. He gets got because he took shit. Bruh, there's some there's some deadly shits in this world. That's a deadly shit. Uh, but yeah, honestly, I feel that, like, that's that's a whole theological and thematic discussion yeah. that'll go, go way long. Real long. And we could get really deep if we wanted to, but... I think we're going to stick to the subject matter at hand and go through maybe some other parts of the movie that we didn't touch on, like accidentally shooting Marvin. Yeah. Do you, you know that and uh, dead. actor? <laughs> dead and we're storage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know that actor who plays Marvin? Uh, Philip Lamar? Sure. So that's that's the voice of Green Lantern in the Justice League cartoons. Uh-huh. So we had Nick Fury and Green Lantern in the same car together, oh, being God. shot by by uh, Johnny's Danny Zuko from Greece. God, just bruh, the worlds they're they're coming together. <sighs> man. Sorry, I had I had to do that. Cringe. I'll go <laughs> fuck yourself, bro. All right. Hey, I thought it was neat. It's neat. Yeah, I agree. It is. It is pretty neat. But was it a bump in the road? There's an Vince, act of God. Does, what? No, there's no way. Don't, don't. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, bro, bro. This movie's about coincidences and true and and divine intervention. And is this a coincidence or is it a divine intervention? Is it an accident or is it a div- or is it a plan? It's Vincent's fault. 
It's Vincent's fault? Vincent's fault. Man, he should have kept his booger picker off the trigger. <laughs> that is Randy's favorite uh, uh, um, gun safety Yeah, line. keep your booger picker off the bang switch. Uh, He's practicing terrible trigger safety. <laughs> terrible trigger safety. But yeah, so... The, he, you know, I mean, he doesn't really practice any trigger safety throughout the whole movie. Nah, nah. I'm not mean, those kind of guys. The, the only thing you see about any kind of safety in this movie is when Jules uncocks his, you know, 1911 when he's talking, or when he's pointing it at, what's his name, the, the robber in the diner. Yeah. Which also, it's, it, isn't the gun a, like a double action? Like, you just pull the trigger. Why do you uncock it? It does nothing. <laughs> Bruh. You it just, just pull the trigger. It looks cool. <laughs> yeah, it looks cool. Uh. Hey, I mean, it would, it would make a lot more sense if it was like a freaking hand can. It was like the hand cannon the guy shot at them at the beginning. It- Randy is nitpicking how many bodies did they shoot? Oh, nitpicking oh, who's got another the gun. thing about the guns in the movie. So, Son of a bitch. so Jules, right? When they both unload into like Brett or whatever the guy's name is. Yeah, dead white dude number four. Dead white dude, no number two. Fuck you. Dead white dude number two, who's eating the big Huna burger. So they unload on him, right? And I see in the movie, I see that when they're done unloading, Jules's gun um, cocks open on an empty magazine. empty chamber. Yeah, or an empty magazine. Yeah. So. Did he reload before the guy came out with the revolver? He had to have, right? Or is it one of those movie things where you know just don't need to reload if you're cool, right? It's an act of God. It was an act of God it's that he suddenly had a full God. magazine to shoot the other guy with. It's an act of God. Or maybe also, it was, was kind empty, of funny, but maybe it was empty. And then when they pulled the guns out, Vincent was the only one who killed him. No, he, but no. but look, that that's the thing. Jules's hands are clean of that death. But. I mean, and Vincent but is thing the is, Jules hammer. shoots too, and his gun definitely shoots. <laughs> it, 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 but uh, also, Jesus magic. <laughs> another another thing though is that so Jules, which you you kind of brought up a little bit of this point, but so Jules is like you know it was a miracle what happened to us, but he still shot the guy. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know. I don't know how the Lord's gonna look down upon that. A guy came out and started, you know, blasting off with a forty-four. All right. Yeah, but I'm not sure if you know God is whole into the you know stand your ground state type of thing. <laughs> well, that's that's a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> okay, I've heard that. I've heard this before, and oh. it's like, and it's it's um it's one of those mean things. Like God's opinion on the Second Amendment is don't shoot to kill, shoot to blow the kneecaps off at a safe distance. And I'm like, <laughs> God. what the fuck's wrong with these people? <laughs> uh. I've seen that bumper sticker and it, I've, I've been, I've been <laughs> freaked a, out to rerun that person. That's such a boomer bumper sticker. I'm sorry to use the phrase. Uh, Goodness uh. gracious. But so anyways, you know, he shoots, he shoots Marvin, right? And yeah. It, it's basically his fault, you know? Yeah. But they go to, to Jimmy's house, right? Because they have to get off the road because of this giant bloody mess. There in the is back a, of their there car. is a bunch of blood all over Huge the place. Huge amount of blood. Also, another thing I noticed, they didn't break the back window. They also said... Marvin's head got blown off, but when we see him at the end, his head is fully there. It's no, just it's has not, a hole in it. Well, yeah, but the bag of his head probably blew the fuck up. <laughs> hey, they they said that, it was decapitated. They said the head t- was gone. Probably hit him, turned 90 degrees inside, and then blew out the back like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, yeah. But also, it doesn't go through the back windshield. Right. Kind of strange. Bruh, those, those old, old guess, cars, Well, I man. guess it is a 9mm. 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 Couldn't hurt a flea. Yeah, Come on, give, give that to right, my kids. Mar- Marvin's fine, dude. He'll, he'll, he'll live, <laughs> Walk that know? shit off. <laughs> Alright, a little anecdote, just a complete tangent, unrelated mostly. Is, uh, have you ever seen that post online or whatever where this guy was like, oh, I was shooting myself 
um, with um, BBs trying to work up my um, immunity to bullets. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's not real. It's a meme or whatever. This guy just took a picture of his leg after he, like, I don't know, he got, like, caught in barbed wire or something, so it looks like there's a bunch of, like, little holes in it. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've been working my way up to 22. I'm working my way up to 22 long rifle soon. Working up my immunity to bullets. <laughs> yeah, just Bruh. hilarious. That sounds, that sounds like something someone would be dumb enough to try. Oh, please don't. Oh, my God. We- it's just one of those things where it's so dumb it's hilarious uh, yes yes <laughs> like shooting marvin in the face oh my god or more the way quentin tarantino talks to them about you know the sign in his front yard and how it's not there <laughs> yeah yeah dude he got, you know tarantino got a lot of controversy and a lot of shit for that really yeah i don't doubt it yeah because it, it's the whole thing where the use of the n-word is uh, prolific throughout this film yes, yes. and it was written by two white dudes and then you have one of the writers saying the n-word multiple times in a scene yes kind of thing and they're and people had some thoughts were like bruh can you fucking not though so what was his, do you know what his response was to the controversy over it I grew up in Inglewood. <laughs> that I swear to God, that was I think that was well, his legitimate response. Was I? I grew up in like I was like I was born in Torrance. I grew up in Inglewood. Like I worked at a porno theater because I lied about my age at sixteen. Like what the fuck did you expect me to write when I you know to what? say write what you hear? You know what, uh, Tarantino? It's a perfectly reasonable answer. <laughs> I'll, I'll accept it. Yeah, I you mean, know, I, just, I don't want to be that guy, but I, that is what I've heard being told all right you know what like i'm over here being like in in my opinion that is a perfectly reasonable answer to that just being like you know what it's where i grew up man it's just the way it goes i'm it's, sorry i'm sorry he i mean i i doubt he'd say that to, he you know use it in any kind of derogatory sense of anybody in real life probably not but i mean you know if anybody leave in the comments you know below if he actually did or not but um but, like, the, the use of the word, I think he tries to make it more natural throughout the movie. Yeah. To where it's not that big of a deal when he says, when the word comes up for, like, the seventh time in the movie. It's kind of, like, part of the course at that point. Yeah. And a lot of the times it's used by, like, Samuel L. Jackson or yes. Marcellus Wallace. Or I think, Wallace. I think the only, like, not, uh, or I think the only white dudes we hear say it are the, the fucking backwood hillbillies in the pawn shop. Yes. And... Tarantino? Tarantino, I think, are the only ones, right? Does Wolf say it? No. I don't think so. so. How are your thoughts on the usage of the word in the movie? To go back to the original point. Um, my thoughts on the use of the word? Because, I mean, this is something we kind of have to discuss at some point during this thing. And we we didn't discuss it during, uh... Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Well, not, not nearly as much as we really should have. But my thinking of it is its use... Here, in this film, it's almost comes off naturally, which is a really fucked up thing to say. Where I'm like, People do use it naturally in the real world. Yeah, but it's like, I don't, I don't feel there's any re- The people who use it with malice, that is the point of the characters to be those kind of people. And the yes. people who use it in, in friendly connotations are using it in friendly connotations kind of thing. But I think, my, my opinion on it is that, and I really don't care if you use it, like, personally, my, my personal opinion is I don't really care the use in the movie or anything like that, or movies in general. But I think he used it too much. You think he used it too much? I think he used it too much. Like, I don't care that if you put the word in your movie. 
but I'm just like it came off like he like he was like really giddy to like be and able to use it you know it, it came like, off like he's like ooh we're gonna use some like s- like word seasoning on yeah these, on you know scenes. like especially like the scene in which he's in where he kind of like repeats it over and over again yeah and I'm just like I get it Tarantino that's a funny bit but it's a little it's a funny gr- bit. it's a little gratuitous after a while also is the is the Jimmy scene the funniest bit in the movie <laughs> I think the whole scene is really good all put together where he's talking about like his fine like uh, you know my aunt jenny got me these and they're no longer with us you know it's <laughs> a wedding present for my aunt uh, uncle, you know and he's and like, wolf is like dude what the fuck are you talking wolf about is like i understand but marcellus walls will have to pay you for some new loon <laughs> you know just very matter of fact and wolf is so good in that scene yes Harvey Keitel is great in all of his scenes. So good in that scene. Oh, what is it? And he's like, all right, boys, so I know you've been to county, so you <laughs> yeah, know the I know drills. you've been to county before, and they have to strip, and he hoses them off. <laughs> yeah. And then they, like, they, they get in the outfit, and they look like a bunch of dorks. Yep. Also, what did they do to that car? That car? They took it to the junkyard. That thing got crushed and shipped off to, you think they to got Australia. crushed or stripped for parts? Dude, both? Nah. <laughs> Probably both. Bofa. Probably both of them. Raquel was like, oh, Wolf's showing up with a car? Alright, uh, I'm, I'm gonna get the good, the good get guys the here. Get out the Atom Smasher. Get out the Atom <laughs> Smasher, and that shit's gonna be trucked off to, to like, fucking China to I'm melt for that parts. Thing down here. But yeah, like, this is a really just fun movie, and it's really it good. It is really fun. That's probably why I dislike the bas- basement scene so much. It stops the fun. It stops the fun. It's not a fun scene. It gets it's it stops being fun and gets a little kind of fucked up. It only yeah. starts being fun e kind of when Butch goes upstairs and he starts looking for a weapon and gets the hammer. He's like, no, no, no. Gets, gets the, the bat. baseball pack. Like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, gets this the is something chainsaw. I wanted to bring up earlier. Do yeah. you think it's there's a significance or just a cool factor in him grabbing the katana? Well, baseball bat and glorious bastards. Samurai sword, kill Bill. Uh, other than a reference. Other than a reference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reference to movies he hadn't made yet. Um, like the significance of him grabbing the samurai sword? Yeah. I almost feel like that that probably is a reference to something else. Probably his love of kung fu movies, to be honest. He was probably like, yo, I got lucky with Reservoir Dogs. And so no you... one's going to give me another movie after this. I'm going to put everything in here. So so you don't think that has any kind of significance to like the, the Pacific Theater and like the, the guys watch? Oh, fuck. I didn't even see that shit. Ooh. Smart boy. Well, because his... Dad dies in a POW camp in Vietnam. And in Vietnam. D- and his grand- grandfather was the one who died in, in Wake Island, I believe. Wake Island in the Pacific Theater during World War II. And I'm like, that's kind of an interesting thing. Like, he takes the samurai sword where it's like his family, you know, basically fought all, all the people of, like, Asia for, like, two wars. Asia and Southeast Asia. Yeah, he's like, oh, okay, I'm taking this piece of your culture to, you know, defend somebody. And it's, like, it's very interesting. That's it, actually an interesting thing. It's like, one of those thing. things where it's like, it's probably not intentional you just probably want to reference it with a cool samurai sword and also samurai swords are cool yeah exactly yeah but you know it's one of those things where you kind of think about it and it makes this neat little connection also i like the watch thing because i'm like yeah that is a completely rational response to that oh when fabiana forgets his watch and he throws the fucking tv at the wall yeah dude if you found out like okay because we don't have any family heirlooms of that level of, of sin- that level of significance where it's just like my great-grandfather bought this before going off to fucking war and then my grandfather had to send this back after knowing he was gonna die in a fucking island in the middle of nowhere and then my father smuggled it in his ass in a pow camp in vietnam and then has its his friend smuggle it in his ass to save it to give it to me but like if you found out your significant other left that kind of watch somewhere and she like lost it 
I'm pretty pissed. I'd probably take it worse than he did. You, I mean, he calmed down pretty fast, didn't he? Yeah. You know, he was just kind of like, I, you know, it's not your fault. Should have made it more clear. It's very important very to me. Very important to me. Should have made that perfectly obvious. And then obviously, I did not. I'll know. be right back. I'll be right back. Here's some money. Have a good breakfast. Good day. That's another reason why. I'm, I'm, not to be weird, but why I think Fabiana's kind of young. Mm-hmm. Is it doesn't snap at her as hard as, you know, maybe would be expected. Because he you know, believes that she's more naive. I don't, I don't know. It is a very, she's a very weird character. And now I'm thinking about it. It's like, she, she might, if she is of age, she is on just this side of 18. Yeah. Yeah. That, that might be the most likely scenario is that she's just there. Right. (laughs) Uh, you know, speaking of relationships in the movie, what about, uh, Something we kind of glossed over before with Mia and Vincent. Oh, they would have banged. 100%. 100%. Not a doubt in my goddamn mind. Vincent would have banged Mia Wallace and Marcellus Wallace would have found out and Vincent would have gone through a four, gone down four stories into a greenhouse. I wonder if that's a thing that Marcellus Wallace knows that Mia Wallace does is like sleep around with his boys and then he just is like he knows it but he uses it as an intimidation factor and just starts like fucking icing dudes or to, to really have that hard check on loyalty that problem that might be it you know who can he really trust I mean after that night he's like I can really trust Vincent Vega he's like he, he gets shit done he he did get shit done and that's <laughs> shit he gets done is not my wife <laughs> Ooh, man also trust this man with a Mac 10 to go kill Butch doesn't he he did. He did. Although I guess it was a little misplaced because I guess, you know. He had a bad Vincent breakfast. Vincent died of dysentery. <laughs> oh my god. Dude, guess what happened to Butch's, Butch's dad? Died of dysentery. Two people died of dysentery in this movie. Butch's, um, Butch's dad and Vincent died of dysentery. I like, I like that meme where it's like, you know, walking someone is like, your dad shoved this up his ass and carried it for two years. Then he died of dysentery. And I'm like, I wonder if this is related. <laughs> of course it's related. God damn it. Uh, but, um, the, the scene where they dance in, um... Jack Rabbit Slims. Jack Rabbit Slims. It's a great scene. Yeah, Steve Buscemi's in it. Steve, yeah, Steve Buscemi's in it as the, the waiter. Yeah, the terrible Buddy Holly. The terrible Buddy... We should have sat in the, in the Marilyn Monroe... Area. Damn. There's two Marilyn Monroes. Well, one of them's actually this other actress. Yeah, you get fucked. Uh, it's but good. Also, the dance. Okay, so our mother has said on more than one occasion that John Travolta is one of the best dancers she's ever seen in a movie, right? And she points to this movie all the fucking time. Is this true? I have to say so. The yep. thing about their dance that like makes it really good mm-hmm. is that it looks simple. But I'm pretty sure we couldn't do it. There's way too much just like subtle body movement stuff going on for that to just be an, an on the fly. Now you can kind of definitely thing. tell they worked on it. Yeah. I mean, there's another thing about that. I'm going to go back to John Travolta here is he's the most engaging person when given the right material, right? You cannot yes. take your eyes off of him. Yeah. People said that John Travolta could have been the next Brando, but then they found out that it's like, well... Unlike Brando, Travolta needs a good director and a good script. Yes. Brando, he could just fucking show up and he was just, you couldn't take your eyes off of him. Travolta here, I can't take my eyes off. When he starts doing the dance, you're just all in. Yeah. You watch him dance for like five fucking minutes and it's just like, 
I can't I can't look away. Yeah, I should the way be going he, to take a piss. The way he kind of like um moves with her mm-hmm. where he's trying to like not get too close, you know? Like she kind of moves in on him and he kind of has to like back up. And then and then when it keeps going, then he kind of moves in on her and it's real slow and less aggressive than she is. And th- that whole dance mm-hmm. number quantifies Shows this the- cat and mouse game in their relationship, you know, where she's trying to get something out of him, right? And he's kind of like, he's playing know. a coy. He's dancing, and you can tell he's like, yeah, I'm gonna go home and jerk off after this. I ain't, <laughs> I ain't getting thrown out a four story window through a glass house. <laughs> exactly. It's such like little subtle things, you know. I think that's the thing. This movie has a lot of subtleties in it that are Which, just really good. I think that's kind of one thing that. Um, Quentin Tarantino kind of ex- excels with is having these little subtleties in these bombastic movies. Oh, yeah. Just to go on a little tangent, because I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I read the novelization of it. I did not do either. I don't worry about it. But, yeah, after reading the novelization, I'm like, yeah, the movie is just, it's wall to wall with all these references to, like, 60s Hollywood and, like, that era of, of Hollywood and all this stuff and kind of, like, how this was the last kind of turn of like hopeful hollywood filmmaking and all that stuff and it's insanely well written i i think that's probably why he won an oscar for the, for the script but yeah the that that's just the thing i think tarantino is a master screenwriter where he's able to put in all these subtleties in the dialogue and the action scenes and, and all also these like beats. kind of these ham-fisted references you know yeah i wonder if that's the thing he puts these big ham-fisted references in there but it, it's to distract from all the weird, subtle, nuance, auteur shit. Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, like, Samuel Jackson being a badass with a gun kind of distracts away from his, like, religious epiphany. epiphany. Him basically looking like Shaft probably is, is on purpose. He basically want, told the art guy, just like, hey, get me a Shaft afro for Samuel L. Jackson. And he brought him back a jerry curl because the prop guy was a white dude and didn't know what a fro was. <laughs> and uh, he was like, no, no, no. He shall have a jerry curl, which is neato. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a point. Like Samuel L. Jackson's supposed to look like this Shaft character, but he's having this deep religious like epiphany thing going on. Vincent's, I guess, supposed to look... And he's kind of a, like a serious, no-nonsense character, you know? Yeah. He's a bad motherfucker. He's a bad motherfucker. Like, Vincent's more jokey than he is. I don't know, there's so many good characters in this. Mostly Vincent's so great. Yo, John... I watched Blowout, and I was like, man, John Travolta, great actor. I watched Pulp Fiction, you know, after watching Blowout, and I'm like, man, he really is a good actor. Yeah! This, this guy knew his stuff. Yeah, I, god damn it, dude. Like, it, that's the thing I keep It's I something keep you don't people. really realize, you know? You're like, yeah, John Travolta, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think it's a thing where people remember him in Greece, and then they're like, oh, that that's Travolta, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. But no, like. Travolta, given the right material, is an amazing actor. A Brando level of actor. Given the right material, right director, insanely good. I'll die on that it's hill. Something we touched on earlier. The What's in the briefcase? I said it was gold. What do you say it is? Uh, okay, to be... <sighs> I want a straight answer from you. Okay, because it is it is supposed to be a reference to this, uh, this other movie from the 50s. Kiss Me Deadly, but whatever. It's supposed to be uranium. But my honest opinion is okay i'm gonna get really up my own ass about this so hold my beer because go straight for it i want an honest it's the it's the stuff dreams are made of it it is something different for everyone who looks into it it is um i i think it's some sort of thing because it opens and it glows yeah right and it glows and it's something like drew like vincent is like this is amazing like Mm -hmm. we we got it 
And then when the robber opens it, um, uh, Tim Roth's character opens it, and he's like, is that, is that exactly what I think it is? Is that what I think it is? And Joel's like, oh yeah, buddy. And he's like, it's beautiful. And it's like, it. I feel it's something different for whoever looks into it. Because obviously it glows, right? Sure. And if it fucking glows, then it can't be, like, some real tangible object. And I feel it's something where it's, like, if you're looking into it, is, the though, film the is expressing kind of it. Like a, is, the glow might just be some kind of, like, effect to make it more, like, well, important. Well, that's the thing. Because we're looking at it through the eyes of a film, yes. right? And I feel in the film, it's glowing. And maybe the care, And I think the characters are not seeing a glow. Yeah, we as the audience saying. are seeing a glow, and it's like I feel that is a symbolic thing where whatever is in there, it's almost irrelevant. I what's in oh, there is yeah, the MacGuffin. Sure. Yeah, I would agree that whatever's in there is pretty much irrelevant to the story, other than Marcellus Wallace wants it badly. It's his soul. It's not his soul. No, it's it's the. It, in my opinion, it's just a fucking. It's it, it's, some my, gold it's bars. Wallace's feet picks. Oh. Everybody looks at them and they're like, "Damn, them some nice feet pics." <laughs> <laughs> you know, the guy at the at the um, what's it called? The guy at the diner looks at him. He's like, "Damn, man, them some great feet pics." <laughs> <The> beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's what I think they are. Marcellus as well as his wife's feet. My word, my god. Which we do see get to see her feet at some point in the movie. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But uh, and I got to make it a point. And by they, I mean Quentin, goddamn Tarantino, has to make it a point. Yes, Quentin, goddamn Tarantino. So what have we not talked about yet so far? Uh, okay, we talked about the characters. We yeah. talked about Butch. You we know talk- who we haven't talked about? The Bonnie situation. The Bonnie situation. Or not the Bonnie situation. I mean the diner. The diner. We haven't talked about the... The, 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 the bookends. Yeah, the bookends. The bookends of the movie. And how it like the movie ties in, kind of like begins and ends with the middle of the movie. Yeah, which I which is fascinating. Because I think when we were talking about it where... Oh, Vince and Jules, there's the point where, you know, Jules decides to take his path and Vince chooses his path and that's where their paths diverge. Vince leads us to death. Jules leads to what we assume is life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he lives. And I'm like, this is the trial for that? This is the midpoint. This is the hump that they have to cross to, you know, a- achieve whatever. And do you think it's super cool? Fun. Do you think it's cool that the, the beginning and the end of the movie are also the middle of the movie? How it's kind of like that perfect division of the three? Yeah, I mean, I said, I okay, to get a little pretentious, Jean-Luc Godard said, a movie has a beginning, middle, and end, but not necessarily in that order. And Tarantino took that shit to heart because he really loved I mean, Godard. he made the beginning, middle, and end of the movie the same scene. Genius. <laughs> I mean, it honestly, genius. Yeah. Like, 100%, like, unironically, genius move. Yeah, because, like, that diner sequence, we get a whole new context to it. From the beginning and the end of the movie. After seeing everything in between. Because at the beginning it's like, oh, this is one of those, you know, flashy openings where it's just like, oh, okay, this is going to be a crime movie, right? And at the end it's a whole new context of what that robbery means and the gravity of that situation. Here's here's something, like, my take on it. That scene is the reason why Quentin Tarantino made the whole thing about pulp. Right, where he has the quote, the, the, the dictionary definition about pulp at the beginning. Yeah. It's called Pulp Fiction. Is because the scene at the beginning of the movie in the diner, leading into that into the scene with Vincent and Jules in the apartment, is very like pulpy stories, right? Yeah, I mean this the whole thing is called pulp fictions, where those old you know kind of like dollar store crime novels, gangster novels, oh, horror back, novels, I mean, weird where, science. Where it's, pulp comes from, they yeah. would have been like five cents. Yeah, sorry, yeah, <laughs> they, were, they were like ten cent shitty magazines that was like. Conan the Barbarian was yeah. like pulp adventures. Yeah, printed on unfinished paper. Yeah. 
And These all kind of qualify as like pulp stories, well, right? Well, I think what happens is that the beginning of the movie is very pulpy, right? Where it's kind of like these non-connected short stories that aren't full, right? Yeah. Where they're not like of this like high quality where they have like, you know, a nice beginning, middle, and end and everything. And then as the movie progresses, it becomes less and less pulpy and more complete. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of makes this tradition, this transition from like the pulpiest pulp, where you have these kind of like non sequitur stories that, that are, cool are just kind things. of cool little things, you know, like they don't mean much. And then at the very end, we end with the same scene, but in a not pulpy way, where the beginning scene, very short, sweet, a little bit of action, you know, they whip out the guns and whatnot. And at the end, they have this kind of, like, long, drawn-out conversation about, you know, coming to terms with, you know, like, uh, Jules's faith in the Lord and trying to be the shepherd. Mm-hmm. And, like, this whole sequence, it's kind of, it, it way longer than the original scene. Oh, yeah. I mean, another interesting thing about it being pulp, um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was, like, Raymond Chandler. One of, the, like, um, some, some old pulp writer who said, if you ever come to a story point where you don't know where to go, just have somebody walk in with a gun. And I mean, how many times does that happen in this movie? All the time. All the time. And we get to this weird point, and then a guy bursts out of the out of the bathroom and starts firing his gun. Yes. And, oh, it doesn't shoot him. It's a work of God. Or, you know, Vincent's taking a dump, and then, boom, pops in Butch with a, with a fucking Mac-10 and blows him away. Yes. It's kind of funny. It's kind of an interesting thing that this movie, even its title called Pulp Fiction, there's still a lot of pulp references, and it's not just a on-the-surface homage thing right yes and i really like that i really like the diner scene too because it, it does feel like there's so much going on there and the beginning of it is like oh yeah this really pulpy opening that it's also really just it's a basic cold open right oh this is the kind of story we're in the story about this fuck this crime shit going on about these petty criminals in, in yes. la and at the end it's like okay now it's like the petty criminals and like the hard the hard gangsters and they're at this crossroads in their life, and he's like, I'm giving you my 1500 bucks. You're not taking it from me. I'm giving it to you because I'm buying your life. That's what this is. I, I am buying your life right now. It's so good. I'm sorry. I don't know what else and to no, say. No, it, that's a really good point because, you know, it kind of shows the crossroads between them. Even though we don't get to meet up with the with the robbers what? after that, I'm pretty sure they he might have had a change of heart about the work he does. Yeah. I think we've we've reached basically as much as we can talk about, right? I think there's still some stuff we could talk about, but I think it would require a second watching. Yeah, you know, we'll rewatch kind of to refresh our memories on everything we've uh, we've gone touched through. on. So why don't we talk about this? So this is on the list. Uh, I believe it comes in at number yeah. So it comes in at number ninety four in the AFI Top One Hundred list. Uh, this one was a recent edition. It comes in at ninety four. It wasn't on there beforehand. So, do you think this is the Tarantino film that deserves to be on the list? Do you think it's at the right placement? Do you think there could be more Tarantino on here? Has he made better movies since? I think saying that another Tarantino movie is better than this one, not sure if I'll be able to say that, because I have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I know you have high praise for. I really Other people have high praise for. Yeah. Uh, there, there's another movie that he made somewhat recently, Django Unchained. Oh, Django Unchained, yeah. Django Unchained. Oh, got a lot of controversy around that one. 
but I've heard it was really good. It's very good. I really like that movie. That movie's great. That one, Inglorious Bastards, is also fantastic. I think Inglorious Bastards, mm, although some of the like, the some of the acting in it is really good. The tension in the in the opening sequence where it's Christoph Waltz, one is of the best opening sequences in a whole movie probably ever it's so good so good but i think it kind of runs away with itself after that yeah i think it's a thing where tarantino has troubles reeling himself in he really does that's probably my main complaint about him is that he doesn't reel himself in when i think he should yeah but also that's how he gets some of like his better work mm. is you know when he goes way overboard like kill, a, kill bill for kill one bill. but um I don't really see Inglorious Bastards, you know, maybe mm. in a top 300, you know, like maybe it'd fit in there somewhere, but definitely not in the top 100 greatest uh, American films of all time. Um, Django Unchained, haven't seen it. Mm. I've heard really good things about it. I really dig it. I I do think, though, it's probably not as good as Pulp Fiction. Close but no cigar. Close but no cigar. I think that's the real question here is what do you think the the... Is Pulp Fiction the best Tarantino film? I'm in the opinion that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is on par. On par, you say? I think it's on par, but I am of the uh, uh, vocal like a minority. Yeah, a minority opinion? Yeah. Would you say that it would supplant it on this list? No. No? No. I think Pulp Fiction is far too influential. Ah, uh, I see. It's far too influential. For one thing, it comes out in 94. It basically creates a crime genre or a crime subgenre within itself that gets repeated a bunch of times. What, Not in great quality. What what movies have really, like, ripped Pulp Fiction that I would know of? Oh, that you would know of? See, that's the problem. I can, I can list off a bunch of them, but they're all, like, these shitty, like, B-movies that came out in, like, the early 2000s. That's kind of the problem. I mean, you know... I, well, the, I think the, the thing real is, influence that Pulp Fiction has is that it put Tarantino squarely on the map. Yeah. I mean, Tarantino became the most successful of the 90s indie darlings. Because it was like, okay, the early 90s, like, indie boom, it's like Richard Linklater, Kevin Smith, Robert Rodriguez, and Quentin Tarantino. And he comes out with Reservoir Dogs. Uh, We have Slack, we have Clerks, we have El Mariachi. And it's like, Tarantino, out of out of those four, is he is, is the He's biggest the one. way more successful than the other person. Kevin Smith has kind of been on like a downward spiral for years now. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez, though, a great director. He is very much okay just... Leaving make, it be. Leaving it be. He likes making like fun action movies and kids movies. He just likes doing his own thing. He yes. doesn't He doesn't care what people think about him. He made more money than he ever thought he would make. And Richard Linklater, he's making like art house films. He's made, he made Boyhood. So he's I have no idea what that movie is. It's the story that he filmed over the course of, I think, 15 years with the same actors. And it follows this kid oh, growing up. I think I've heard of that movie, actually. I think I, I think I saw you watch something about it. Yeah, it's, it's very good. I mean, but that's what, what Richard Linklater is doing. He's yes, like a very yes. art house kind of... Or he's leaning more into the arts art of film than, you know, Tarantino, who's leaning into the whole thing of, like, fucking... He's making these big blockbusters. Big blockbuster movies, yeah. So in financial success, he's probably the most successful out of all of them. I mean, he's probably easily the most influential out of all of them. Well, maybe Kevin Smith. It, it's the thing where, like, Clark's thing... dialogue has, has infiltrated so much of, like independent film he's yes. you can argue that clerks is the origin story of like mumblecore but yes granted slacker is probably closer because that's the origin story of clerks but whatever but basically quentin tarantino is 
the biggest, still making big movies today, could yeah. still be influential in the future. While I think Kevin Smith is like, while he had like this really big influence over these like mumblecore movies. Yeah, and also it's like Clerks, Mallrats, uh, Chasing Amy. Yeah. Like, he, he made really good films for a really long time, and then when he, I think he got to the point where he got too much money, and he got really uh I think he just kind of got like an inflated ego about himself, and just kind of spiraled from there. Uh, my, my biggest critique of Kevin Smith is he should stop writing movies while he's high. That's basically his big, my biggest critique of him. I think his movies he wrote when he was like sober were far better movies. Well, I don't, I don't know anything about like everything. Know. Cop out after he was blasted for everything before was good. Everything before he was sober. Yikes! I mean, I think uh, Pulp Fiction is on here just because the influence of it alone is super super high. Do I think it's going to be on here? If okay, if they did a list. If they redid the list, if they redid the list tomorrow, I think it still holds on. But if they redid the list in another ten years, I don't know if it's still on there. I think it would still be on there. I mm. mean, it's it's a really good movie, and the dialogue in it is so good. Yeah, I think it'd still be on there. Maybe it'd take a hit, go down a little bit. But, I, I mean, there's not much wiggle room with going down a little bit on here, so I don't know. Maybe well, he could fall I, off. Maybe did, Quentin, one of Quentin Tarantino's more recent movies would go on. I actually because remember I think he this. He's a big influential director. Well, here's the thing, because I I didn't mess up. It's at 94 on the list right now, but it used to be at 95. It went up one. Up one. It you went say. up one. Big moves. Big, big money moves, moves. Big money moves. It went up one. So I think that's the thing with that. I feel Pulp Fiction is probably right around where it should be. In, like, this lower 80s, 90s area, this is probably where it's gonna gonna sit. I can't imagine this going much higher up the list if it did. Because I feel this movie is incredibly, like, influential. It's probably the best Tarantino film we got, or the most unique Tarantino film, and it's using a lot of the... It's, it's using a lot of filmmaking things that are... It does have really unusual good. filmmaking um, elements to it. You know, it's it's out of order. Yeah, it's a non-linear story. So, yeah, like, I can see its place on this list. I think, you know, it's at the right spot. You think this is I the first one we've hit that's at the right spot? It's at the completely right position. Don't move it. It's fine where it is. Also, you know, we have the, the little, little thing. Yeah. It came out in 1994. It's at 94 on the list. Oh, oh, we love it. Oh, oh. those little things, you know, or like the, the videos where people put like boxes and boxes and they slide neatly into each other. It's oddly satisfying. Oddly satisfying memes. <laughs> but yeah, so Pulp Fiction, yeah, I think probably about it. I think this movie is exactly where it needs to be. But yeah, so yeah. that was that was Pulp Fiction. So overall, good movie. Good. good. Great, great movie. Way better than I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it's... It ain't the Ben Hur. It's no Ben Hur. <laughs> it's no Ben Hur. Ben Hur is a great movie. It's great ass. Oh, oh. But yeah, Pulp Fiction, really good. Alright, so yeah, Pulp Fiction. Great. Really good. Really held up. But next week. Better than I thought it would be. Which is awesome. I think that's a good thing Even though going I'd back seen to it watch these. I think going back to watch these, finding a movie that held up a lot better than you thought it would, it's great. But this next movie... Uh, I think this one is a movie you've never seen before. Number 93. No, I've not seen before. I am looking forward to it. I've heard nothing but great things about it. Yes, it is going to be The French Connection, 1971, directed by William Friedkin. 
Uh, this one is going to be our first one with Gene Hackman, and I cannot wait. wait. I love The French Connection. It's a great movie. It is raw. It is gritty. Have I seen anything from this movie before? Like, in clips or something? Maybe the chase sequence. What does the chase sequence look like? Uh, it's the one where Gene Hackman's driving through... Like, he's chasing a train, right? And he's driving through the streets of, um, like, New York... I think I've nope. seen references to it, but I don't think I've seen it. Yeah. What's the one with the... Uh, I know it's a totally different movie. I think it's a British movie, too, where they drive, where he's, like, getting chased by the cops and he drives on top of the building and loses them up there. Oh, I don't actually know that one. You don't know that one? I don't... I know, ah, man, I've seen you watch it, and I was like, I really wanted to know the name of the movie. Don't worry, we'll probably get to it when we do the BFI. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, next week, French Connection. I cannot wait. It's going to be great, and I'm going to argue why The Exorcist should be the William Freakin film on this list. But you know, oh, he did both of them. Yes, um, I'll, I'll show I'll show you the William Freakin IMDb after this, and it's gonna be good. Oh, I'm gonna be like, wow, really? this motherfucker, <laughs> my best Owen Wilson impression. Wow, oh, wow, wow. But yes, if you want to hear our best Owen Wilson impressions, show up next week. You can find us on our YouTube channel in the frame, where you can also find this podcast. You can find the Double Feature podcast. You can find the Film Club podcast and Tube Scare for TV, and uh, you can find us on instagram of the film odyssey podcast and so on and so forth we're the same thing on spotify apple podcast and everywhere else uh but yeah randy any last words good movie a lot of things to read into dialogue does not look like a bitch no martin's house is definitely looking like a bitch at the end of this movie all right everybody have a good night have a good night